You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. And on today's episode of the podcast, we are going to be doing our mid-Ashes series review. Reviewing the Ashes series so far between England and Australia after the first three Ashes test matches. And it's been quite an interesting series. It's been a, a thrilling um, series. It's been a series that's produced some good cricket, some outstanding individual performances by both teams in terms of batting and bowling. Um, so on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Ashes series thus far, talking about how England and Australia have performed over the three test matches and what they need to do in order to uh, to win the next two test matches of this Ashes series, the fourth test at Old Trafford and also the fifth test at the Oval. So we're going to be talking about that today on our mid-Ashes series review. But before we talk about that, let's um, have a look at the results from the first three Ashes test matches thus far in the series and have a look back at the results and who won and who did well. Um, so the first test match was played at Edge Bastion to kick off the series. Australia won by two wickets. Usman Khawaja was named player of the match in that first test match and it was an incredible first test match that ebbed and flowed it set the tone for the series and Australia won from nowhere they they came back from a very unwinnable position at one stage in that test match uh, but Pat Cummins played a captain's knock and he added 55 unbeaten for the ninth wicket with Nathan Lyon to get Australia over the line in that first test match which which was um, pretty incredible um, batting from both Cummins and Lyon, uh, to get Australia over the line in that first test match. Um, what an incredible test match that we had at Edge Bastion to kick off the series. The second test, we went to Lords, the home of cricket, of course, and Australia have a pretty good record at Lords, and they continued that pretty good record against England at the home of cricket. They won by 43 runs. Steve Smith was named player of the match. Yet again, another incredible test match that ebbed and flowed, just like the first test at Edge Bastion. The heroics of Ben Stokes, 155 he made, he nearly got England over the line, he nearly did it again, uh, unfortunately it wasn't meant to be, but it was an incredible innings from, from Stokes, an incredible test match that ebbed and flowed, Australia held their nerve, and they were able to secure a 2-0 series lead, heading into the third test match at Headingley, and uh, for England, they needed to win the third test at Headingley to keep their Ashes hopes alive. Uh, alive, I should say, and they certainly did that. They won by three wickets, and um, Mark Wood was named player of the match, taking a five-wicket haul in the first innings, and his bowling uh, proved to be the difference in that test match. And England winning that Headingley, uh, a ground that they enjoy uh, playing and winning a lot of games at Headingley over the past few years, uh, to keep their Ashes hopes alive, for now and to keep the series alive um, and that's what's happened in this Ashes series thus far so the first three games of the series have been very tight very close um, and the results indicate that 
and we've seen some very good cricket across the three test matches. But the bottom line is that Australia still lead the series 2-1. We have two test matches to play at Old Trafford for the fourth test in Manchester, and the fifth and final test to be played at the Oval in London. So uh, that's the series thus far in terms of the results from the first three test matches of this Ashes series. Let's have a look at both England and Australia and how they've performed in this Ashes series thus far. Let's talk about both teams and how they've performed over the three test matches of this Ashes series thus far, as I mentioned. And we'll start with England. Um, let's start with them, as I, as I mentioned. Um, England in this Ashes series, there was a lot of talk going into the series about baseball. Will it cope against the Australian bowlers? Will it cope against this quality Australian team? And we've already seen in this series thus far, it, it has put Australia back on the back foot at times in this series. But also it has been the undoing of England, especially um, in the first two test matches, which they lost. Um, so it's been a patchy performance from England over the three test matches of this Ashes series. And that is sort of reflective in the result of the series thus far, with them trailing 2-1 down in the series. Uh, they were able to win at Headingley in the third test to keep the series alive for now. But um, uh, it, it's sort of reflective of how they've played in this series. And um, it, it's been a patchy, inconsistent performance from England. Um, by playing baseball, that's what happens. By playing this positive brand of cricket, of course it's going to provide some inconsistency. Uh, which will frustrate a lot of England fans in particular, knowing that um, for England, just play smart um, at, you know, in key moments of these test matches, which have gone down to the wire, just to, just to play some smart cricket and balance that with baseball. But at times it has been their undoing. Um, it's provided some good performances in this series with both bat and ball by playing baseball. It's been a very exciting series to watch, and I think... Many people have agreed with that. Um, and and for England, this is the mantra. This is the way they want to play. And, uh, you know, it's an element of risk. But um, so far, it's provided some good cricket. Uh, so let's talk about the England batters and how they're performed in the series thus far over the three test matches. How they're tracking along um, at the midway point of this Ashes series. So... So first of all, uh, let's start with their batting. Uh, ben Stokes is the leading run scorer, 309 runs in the series thus far. Followed by Duckett with 237. Followed by Root, 232. Then Brook with 210. Crawley, 196. Bairstra, 141. Uh, Pope with 90. And Ali with 63. That's how the England batters have performed across the three test matches thus far in the series and also in the series in general. Um, it's It's been a, a very inconsistent performance. As I said before, by playing baseball, it does bring that inconsistency there. But um, in this series, we've seen some very good standout performances from Ben Stokes, Ben Duckett, the second test at Lords, Stokes, the first... Uh, the second and third test matches of this series, he's played well. Joe Root in the first test, Harry Brook in the third test, getting England over the line in the run chase, 
Uh, Crawley in the first test of the first innings at Edgebaston set the tone. Um, so we've seen some good performances by England's uh, batters. But a common theme in this series is um, that inconsistency by playing baseball. But they have scored quickly. Um, their run rates, as you would expect, by playing this brand of, of uh, fast, aggressive cricket, uh, by playing baseball, their run rates have been pretty good. In the first test, they were had a run rate of five and over, four and over. The second test, the same, pretty much four and over in both innings of the second test at Lords, and in the third test at Headingley, four point five one in the first innings and five point zero eight in the second innings in the run chase. So it it, it has been. A, a quite an interesting series with the England batters, um, and and their scores in the series as well with the bat. Um, first Test match at Edgebaston, eight declared for three ninety three and two seventy three. Second Test at Lords, three twenty five, three twenty seven. Third Test, two thirty seven and seven for two fifty four on the run chase at Headingley. So their scores have been um, a bit all over the place. There's no really um, significant score of note, and and that's been the same with Australia as well in the series. In the series, that um, both teams haven't really got a score that has definitely put the opposition out of out of the game. Um, the scores that have scored has certainly kept Australia um, in this series in terms of you know not getting that big score. Obviously, the the first Test match at Edgebaston, the declaration was talked about because people said well. Why did Ben Stokes declare on day one at eight, declared for 393? And in the end, that cost England potentially in that first test. Um, but with basketball, even in the last test here at Headingley, we, we saw that, you know, it does bring the opposition back into the game. Australia only lost by three wickets. Um, so there is an element of risk, as I mentioned there. Um, obviously, Ben Stokes, you would think, thus far has been England's best batter in the series. He's played some good knocks. The run chase at Lords was um, some of the best batting I've seen. Um, he's the only person to do that in Test cricket. He's the only person to do that in world cricket, to come in in a run chase in Test cricket and do that. Um, nearly got the team over the line at Lords with that 155. Um, incredible effort where all the other batters crumbled and struggled um, in that uh, second innings of the run chase. Uh, the third test match at Headingley in the first innings, he got 80. Again, another important contribution from Stokes. And I think for Ben Stokes, he has set the example for England's batters in this series, is that you can play baseball and you can be aggressive, but balance it with uh, smartness in terms of batting smart and, and playing some proper cricket. Um, he did that in the second test at Lords. He did that in the third test at Headingley. The way he batted, he soaked up the pressure. Then he picked his moment. And Ben Stokes, he, he will soak up the pressure and then all of a sudden he'll just tee off and just let loose. And and I think the other England batters in particular could take a bit of a bit of a leaf out of uh, Ben Stokes' um, book. I mean, obviously Ben Stokes is employing this brand of cricket that England are playing. But he's also saying to the team as well, you can play it you can play this brand, but you can play it smartly as well. So he's been by far England's best batter of the series. Uh, Joe Root, um, many people thought he was going to have a great series and, and do well with the bat. Unfortunately, 
after the first test, when he scored the 100 in the first innings, 118 he made, not out. Since then, he's um, he's dropped off a little bit with the bat. Um, 46, 10 and 18, 19 and 21 he's scored since that 100. Uh, so he's had some starts, but he hasn't converted them. And I think England would like to see a bit more from Joe Root. Um, he is England's key batter. Uh, obviously, his record speaks for itself. 11,000 test runs, uh, averaging 50. Um, so England would like to see a bit more from him as well. Um, ben Duckett, he had a pretty good second test where he got 98 and 83. Could have got centuries in both innings, but... Unfortunately, he got out and didn't quite get to the centuries in those two innings at Lords. Um, but since the, the test at Lords, outside of that, he hasn't really done much in the series. Um, Harry Brook has been a bit up and down. Um, obviously, he struggled in the second test at Lords because of the short short ball barrage by the Australian bowlers. A uh, bit of a weakness there. He batted well at, at Headingley um, in the run chase in particular. Batting back at number five, in the in the first innings he batted at number three because obviously Ollie Pope ruled out of the series because of that shoulder injury. Didn't really suit him. That's not really his position. He bats at number five and he looks pretty good there. And he, and he got seventy five in the third test at at Headingley. So uh, Harry Brooks had an indifferent series, but um, you know he probably he's starting to to uh, try and find his. Um, mojo and find his rhythm in the series um sack crawley another one he's had starts you know he he made 61 in the first test and since then he's made scores of 7 48 3 33 and 44 so he's had some starts but didn't convert those starts um so england would like to see a bit more from him johnny biastro has been poor in this series we know the troubles that he's had with the gloves dropping catches but also his batting has dropped off in the series as well. He batted well in the first test. In the first innings, he got 78. But since then, he's got scores of 20, 16, 10, 12, and 5. And we all know what happened at Lords in the controversial stumping dismissal of Alex Carey. Um, so it just sums up Bearster's series thus far. Um, Ollie Pope didn't really do much in the first two test matches with the bat. Um, he's been ruled out of the series because of a shoulder injury. And Moen Ali, since he's come back from retirement, coming back into this Asher series to replace um, Jack Leach. He hasn't really done much with the bat either. Uh, so England's batting has been a bit indifferent. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how England cope with the pressure now because they're back in the series. It's 2-1. The fourth test at Manchester at Old Trafford will be the critical test match of this series. It will either decide whether or not Australia retain the Ashes and win the series or it will decide that we go to the Oval for the fifth and final test as a decider with the series locked at two all. Uh, with England's batting, the way they play with baseball, is it going to be their undoing? Is it going to be um, their Achilles heel in terms of trying to win this series? Um, and the pressure is on. The pressure is on. Once you get to this pointy end of the series, there's two test matches left. It, let's be realistic, it's still a hard challenge for England to overcome because Australia is still in a good position. They still lead 2-1. That's the beauty of winning the first two test matches is that you're still in a dominant position. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what England do in terms of, 
of how they're going to handle that pressure because the pressure will be on. Their batting has been indifferent. They've scored quickly. They've scored a lot of runs quickly. But also they've given their wickets away and at times not really batting smartly. So how would they handle that in the last two test matches of the series? We have to wait and see on that. But their batting overall has been uh, a bit patchy and they probably need to tighten up a few things uh, with that as well. Obviously, a lot of the batters will be looking at their series thus far and saying, I could have done better um, in the first three test matches. Others will be saying, uh, I've done pretty well thus far. So um, for England's batting, playing this brand of, of baseball, playing this brand of cricket, it is going to um, be inconsistent. And, and that's what we've seen in, in the first three test matches of the series. They've found a way to combat Australia's bowlers in some aspects of the game, of the games thus far. But, and also another thing as well, this team doesn't have the ability to bat long either. The The most amount of overs they batted in the series is 81.3, and that was in the run chase in the second test at Lords. So this team don't bat long because they score their runs so quickly, they don't need to bat over 100 plus overs. But um, that's the thing as well. They need to tough it out when things get a bit tough, especially if Australia are bowling well. And at times in this series, they haven't been able to do that on a consistent basis. So challenges for England's batters um, and challenges ahead for them. And there's a lot of areas they can tighten up on. But their batting in this series in the first three test matches has been a little bit patchy. Let's move on and talk about uh, England's bowlers and how they've performed in this series thus far across the three test matches of this Ashes series. Uh, Stuart Broad is the leading wicket-taker with 16 wickets, followed by Robinson with 10, uh, Wood with 7, 6 wickets to Wokes, 5 wickets for Tongue and Alley, and 3 wickets for Root, Stokes and Anderson. That's how the England bowlers have gone about things with the ball in this series overall, but also across the three test matches of this Ashes series. Um, just like their batting, their bowling in England has been a little bit patchy as well. Been a bit inconsistent across the three test matches of this Ashes series. Um, the pitchers haven't really helped their bowlers at times. Uh, James Anderson made some comments after the first test at Edgebaston that if the pitchers are going to be like this for the whole series, he's probably going to retire. Maybe that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, or maybe he was serious. Um, but the, the first two pitchers were flat, they were slow. Obviously, England, Ben Stokes made that clear before the Ashes series that he said, we want flat pitches because we want to nullify the Australian bowlers and we want to try and bring our strength, which is our batting, um, because of playing this brand of cricket of, of baseball. And it hasn't really helped their bowlers. It's sort of disadvantaging their bowlers. And we saw that across the first two test matches at Edge Bastion and at Lords. Um, also, England... Um, didn't capitalise on key moments with the ball um, across the first two test matches of the series. At Lords, for an example, of not capitalising on key moments, the conditions at Lords were ideal for bowling. Overhead conditions, they didn't make use of the conditions um, at Lords. And Australia went on to score um, 416 runs in the first innings. Um, and England didn't capitalise on that. They won the toss and bowled first and and they didn't win the key moments. Their bowling attack on these sort of flatter pitches um, is innocuous, not effective. 
Um, the pace of the bowlers is a factor as well. Um, so the first two test matches, they really struggled with the ball. But come the third test at Headingley, uh, the injection of Mark Wood, that extra pace, really proved to be the difference for England that they needed in this series. The only reason he didn't play the first two tests because he was injured. Um, and that's the problem with Mark Wood. He gets these um, you know, problems with injury, and he is susceptible to injury, as many fast bowlers are. But um, with him being in the side now, after this third test, what he did took five wickets. Um, it has brought about that point of difference that England needed in their bowling. Um, and, and you would think that that was something that England were lacking across the first two test matches in particular. They could have used him uh, for that extra pace uh, just to hurry the Australian batters, and that's what we saw in the third test here at Headingley. Um, yeah, the, the bowlers have had a bit of a mixed series if we um, talk about them individually. Stuart Broad's probably been the best England bowler in this series. He's been pretty consistent. He's taken wickets in just about every test match of the series thus far. Ollie Robinson has been poor. He's taken 10 wickets for the series, but that's not a true reflection on how well he's bowled. Um, he's been quite poor, actually. Um, his pace has dropped. Um, he's been very ineffective at times. The third test match, he picked up a bit of a back spasm injury, uh, which um, is not good for England going forward for the remainder of the series. But um, he's been quite uh, poor. Mark Wood... Third test match at Headingley was good. Chris Wokes coming in in that third test match as well was was good. Um, Josh Tung in the test match he played at Lords was very good. Moen Ali, since he's come back from retirement, um, he he's only taken five wickets, but still we we all know what the problems are with Moen Ali in terms of his bowling. He's not really that consistent, and um, he has leaked runs in this series. Um, Joe Root, the part-time off spinner. Has done okay. You know, he's not bad, Joe Root, as an, as an off-spinner. Um, obviously, uh, taken a few wickets in this Ashes series thus far. Ben Stokes, not really bowling because of the knee injury. Uh, that's why England are, are choosing the extra bowler in their lineup because they know that Ben Stokes can't bowl. He has bowled a few overs in this series. He's taken three wickets. But as an all-rounder, that's your job, basically, to bat and bowl and field. And... You know, he's just doing the batting side of things at the moment. He's not really doing the bowling all that much. And um, in the field, he's doing okay. Um, and obviously, James Anderson is probably the big talking point as well for England in the series thus far. He's only played two test matches. Didn't play at Headingley because he was rested. Hasn't been at his best, James Anderson. He looked, I don't know, short of a gallop, I think, in the first two test matches. As we know with Anderson, he's getting on a bit. You know, he's 40 now. He's going to be 41 soon. Um, could this be the last hurrah for Anderson? Uh, and you've got to be realistic when it comes to these things as well. Maybe his time is coming, and as it does for all cricketers, as it does for all athletes in many different sports, you can't beat the clock. And once the clock uh, comes to that point in time, you just got to decide whether or not you should retire or not. So for Anderson, the pitches haven't really helped him. And that's why he's been very ineffective, because the pitches haven't helped him. Uh, they've been slow and flat, especially at Edgebaston at Lords. He hasn't been quite himself. 
maybe he will be a different bowler after the break, not playing the third test, going to Old Trafford, his home ground, where he's got his, um, you know, you know, many great memories playing there, of course, at, at Old Trafford. So maybe he will be a different bowler. We don't know. Uh, but he hasn't been at his best in this series. And also another concern for England is, um, you know, the wear and tear. The wear and tear is starting to show. It's been a long series. Their bowlers, you know, Stuart Broad's played three test matches. He's played the first three. Robinson, the same. Um, so the wear and tear is starting to show on the England bowlers a little bit. Um, a long series um, on these types of surfaces is going to be very difficult. Um, so how England go about managing their bowlers going forward is going to be a challenge for them. Um, also for England's bowling, probably the bowling performance at Headingley was probably their best bowling performance of the series, obviously, uh, because of Mark Wood, Chris Wilkes coming back, um, brought some rejuvenation into their bowling lineup. Whereas in the first two test matches was ineffective and quite poor. Um, also not winning key moments as well. England um, had ideal bowling conditions at Lords. They weren't able to capitalise in those conditions. Also, apart from that, has been the number of drop catches and the poor fielding. Now, England in this series, their fielding has been atrocious, if, if we can use that word. Uh, pretty poor. Uh, not really good enough. Uh, drop catches, too many drop catches, especially from Johnny Bairstra behind the stumps. He's been in the firing line because of that. Uh, a lot of people said Chris Folk, uh, sorry, uh, Ben Folks, I should say, should be in the side uh, because he's one of the best keepers in England going around at the moment. But with the way that England have set up their team, obviously Johnny Bairstra um, is in the team. He's got the gloves, but he hasn't really done much behind the stumps in terms of taking those key opportunities and key chances that England have been putting down. So that's been the difference in this series with Australia and England in terms of the catching. It's been very poor from England in this series thus far. So England's bowlers, um, the wear and tear is starting to show. Um, how can they manage their bowlers going forward? Obviously, Ben Stokes is not really bowling as much. So it does put a lot of pressure on the rest of the bowlers to, to deliver. And uh, that's been the theme in this series for England. So they're bowling just like their batting in the series thus far has been a bit patchy. But the third test at Headingley was probably their best bowling performance. They were able to use the conditions. They won the toss, bowled first, and they really utilised the conditions bowling first. It was a bit overcast and grey skies, and they were able to bowl Australia out for uh, 263 and 224. Um, and, and that was their best bowling performance compared to the bowling performance at Edge Bastion, and also at Lords um, in the first two Test matches. So, so for England's bowling going forward, um, it's going to be uh, going to be challenging. Um, can their bowlers get through another Test match? Given that the workloads um, have been increased over the last three Test matches, so going into the home straight uh, for the fourth Test and the fifth Test, are their bowlers going to be fit enough? To, to perform and do their roles. That will be the, the big question there for England. But with England, their batting and bowling across this series thus far has been a little bit patchy, been a bit inconsistent. But that's just the way it is when, when they're playing this brand of cricket of baseball. It's just the way it is. It is going to be 
a little bit inconsistent. Let's talk about Australia and talk about their performance across the first three Ashes Test matches of this Ashes series. And let's talk about how they've performed in the series thus far up to date. Um, with Australia, a lot of pressure on Australia going into this Ashes series, of course, obviously wanting to win the series in England for the first time since 2001. Um, Pat Cummins made that clear before the start of the series that we want to create a legacy and we want to win this series um, because we, we just want this to be ticked off our list of achievements. And and for Australia, that, that does add a lot of pressure on your shoulders as a cricket team um, when you make those statements and, 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 and all that stuff. But obviously Australia... Um, it's been a series where they haven't quite hit their straps. They haven't been at their dominant best, Australia. But they've found a way to win the first two test matches of this series. They were under pressure in both test matches at Edge Bastion and at Lords. But they were able to find a way, and that's what the great teams do. They always find a way to get through those tough periods and able to win the game. Um, a 2-1 series lead is a good good position to be in for Australia. They would be very disappointed to, to lose the test at Headingley. It was an opportunity uh, missed to, to win the series and wrap up the series then and there. But there's still plenty of areas to improve on with both bat and ball for Australia going forward. And um, they haven't quite hit their straps yet, Australia. But if they can tidy up a few areas with the batting and the bowling, uh, they, they can definitely win this series and definitely wrap up the series and, and definitely retain the Ashes, which is the, the main objective. But let's talk about their their batters and their performance in the series thus far. Um, Usman Khawaja is the leading run scorer, 356 runs, followed by Head with 266, Smith with 190, uh, Mitchell Marsh with 146, Labashane 144, uh, Carey with 142, Warner with 141, and last but not least, Green with 84 runs. That's how the Australian batters have performed across the three test matches this Ashes series. Um, with Australia, their batting hasn't been consistent. There's been some inconsistencies. It's been a bit of a patchy sort of performance with the bat. A lot of problems, a lot of issues that they need to sort out. Um, Number one issue is batting collapses. They've had a few batting collapses in this Ashes series, Australia, uh, at sort of the wrong time. Uh, losing wickets, which they shouldn't have lost. Um, so they need to stop batting collapses, Australia. Um, we saw that in the last test at Headingley, where they, they had a, a few batting collapses. They lost their last six wickets for not many runs. Um, and it was it was pretty poor, to be honest. So... They need to stop batting collapses. That's one problem. Um, and also, um, we've seen from Australia, um, key batters not really standing up, not really contributing. Um, in particular, Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, and David Warner. Um, they've had a few indifferent series. Um, we'll start with Steve Smith. Well, Steve Smith scored that 110 in the second test at Lords. Um, hasn't been quite a dominant series from Smith. Um, outside of that 100 from Lords, it's been pretty quiet. Um, so Australia need more runs from Smith. Marnus Labuschagne is the same. Um, he's had a lot of starts in the series. 13, 47, 30, 21, 33, 
a lot of starts. He hasn't converted at Marnus Labashane. Um, he's had a pretty difficult series. David Warner's been under pressure, as we know, because he's coming towards the end of his career. And in this series, scores of 9, 36, uh, 66, 25, 4 and 1. So he's definitely under pressure, David Warner, especially with Stuart Broad got him out twice in the third test at Headingley, but he, he also got out to him in the first test as well at Edge Bastion. He's under pressure. So Australia need more from Smith, Labuschagne, and Warner in particular. Uh, they've been a bit poor in this series thus far. Um, and and you need them to stand up, especially in, in an Asher series, you need your, your best players to stand up. They haven't done really much in the series. That's something that Australia will, will hope that will change. Going into the fourth test at Manchester, going into the last test at the Oval, that Smith, Labuschagne, and Warner can, can get firing and get going in this series because they've been pretty poor thus far. And you will have to say that Usman Kawaja, Travis Head, Mitchell Marsh, who, who came in for the third test, have probably been Australia's best batters in this series thus far. Usman Kawaja has been superb. Um, he's really batted well at the top of the order. Brilliant 100 in the first test. 141. Um, he's been pretty consistent in the series in terms of his scores. 141, 65, 17, 77, 13, 43. Um, so he's been pretty consistent, Usman Kawashi. He's been, he's been pretty good. He's been calm. Um, he's looked comfortable at the crease. Um, and since he's come back to the Australian side, he's been in good form, Usman Kawashi. So... He's definitely Australia's best batter in the series. Travis Head, again, um, one of Australia's best batters again in this series. Scores of 50, 16, 77, 7, 39, and 77. Um, especially the, the, the innings that he played in the second, uh, sorry, second innings of the third test where Australia were in trouble at Headingley. Um, you know, that, that ability to come out and just play his shots and be positive and be aggressive. Um, Thank goodness that Australia have Travis Head because of that, because Australia were in a very precarious position in that second innings of that third test at Headingley. And he was able to come in and, and do what he does best. Um, so he's been one of Australia's best batters in this series, Travis Head. Mitchell Marsh came in, played his first test match in four years in the third test at Headingley, scored 118 off 118. Um, and also took a couple of wickets. Came in for Cameron Green, who was out because of a hamstring strain. Um, and he's been Australia's best batter in this series. And he's only played one test. Uh, but that is a concern for Australia, that there's only a few batters that are doing the job. The other batters I mentioned before, Labuschagne, Warner and Smith in particular, haven't been doing their job. Whereas Kawaja, Head and, and Marsh have been doing their jobs um, in terms of scoring runs for Australia. Um, also, Alex Carey um, has made some good contributions with the bat in this series thus far. In the last test match at Headingley, didn't quite have a great test with the with the bat. Um, he's had a pretty good series with the gloves, Alex Carey. He's been very good behind the stumps. Um, obviously, you know, what happened with Bearster at Lords, um, that controversy, it, it probably is affecting him a little bit. There's been... Some stuff thrown at him over the last few weeks and days um, following that uh, second test at Lords. Uh, Cameron Greens hadn't haven't had the impact that he would have hoped in this Sasha series 
Uh, scores of 38, 28, 0, 18. Didn't play the third test because he missed it out, missed out because of a hamstring strain. Um, so yeah, so so Australia's batting um, still a lot of the areas to improve on. That's for sure. Um, they need to post big scores, Australia. In this Ashes series, they haven't posted scores of 400 or 450 plus on a consistent basis. They've scored 386, 8 for 282. That was in the first test. Second test, they scored 416, 279. And in the third test, they scored 263 and 224. So that does tell you a bit of a story about Australia's batting. They need big scores of 400, 450 plus to really put them in a, in a dominant position with the bat, especially against this England side, with England playing baseball and playing this brand of cricket. So they need to step up with the batter strat. They need to find a way to post big scores to put themselves in a very dominant position. Um, another problem that they need to sort out is adapting to the conditions. Now, Australia, in, in this Ashes series thus far, they've had the worst of the conditions. The second test at Lords, the third test here at Headingley, they haven't had the ideal batting conditions to bat in. It's been grey, overcast, gloomy skies that they've batted in. And they haven't quite adapted well to those conditions. Um, they adapted well in the in the first test at Lords in the first innings. They were able to get through that tricky period on day one. But in the second test at Headingley, they weren't able to adapt, um, especially in those difficult conditions on day three, late on day three. Um, so they need to adapt to conditions better, Australia, with the bat. They also need to stop giving wickets away. We saw that from Smith and Labuschagne in the in the second innings of of the third test. They gave their wickets away. Um, very unusual shots that Smith and Labuschagne have played. You don't see them playing those shots very often. Labuschagne playing a slog sweep to deep square leg off Mo and Ali got out caught. Uh, Steve Smith trying to flick one through mid on off Mo and Ali got out caught. Um, so Australia can't be giving away free wickets. And that's been the problem sometimes in this series for Australia is that they've been given wickets away. And they've, they've had those batting collapses and, and they need to tighten up on those areas. Um, also, another concern is they need more runs from the tailenders. Um, that's something that they need to work on. Pat Cummins said after the third test at Headingley, we need more runs from the tailenders. Uh, we need to contribute a bit more there. Um, and that could be a difference in the series as well. And also for, for Australia, they need to take their opportunities when they arise with the bat. They need to, to make sure that they cash in when the conditions suit, but also uh, when they have the opposition under pressure. And, and that's very important for Australia to cash in with, with the batting there. So, so Australia's batting, there's a lot of areas to work on. And one more point to mention is that no one's really scored a big century for Australia. The highest score for Australia in this series is Kawaja's 141. Um, there's only been three centuries, Kawaja, Smith, and Marsh. And no one else has really got that big score. So for Australia, it's important that someone kicks on and gets a big score. And we haven't seen that from Australia in this series. So, um, And also with Australia at times in this series is their uh, positive intent with the bat. Um, sometimes they want to play the long game and try and grind out the England bowlers and make them tire, which is fair enough. That's a, that's a good tactic, and that's what Australia are employing. But they need to be a bit more positive when it comes to that as well, because they get bogged down a little bit. 
and you've got to keep the scoreboard ticking over and put pressure back on the bowlers. So, as I mentioned, there's a lot of areas that, is, that Australia's batters need to improve on. Um, haven't really quite been at their dominant best with the bat, uh, but if they can fix up a few areas, um, hopefully that will change going into the fourth test at Old Trafford and potentially the fifth test at the Oval. But they need all their batters to stand up they need them to score runs. They need to do the basics well um, if they are going to go on to win this series and retain the Ashes. Let's talk about Australia's bowlers and, and talk about their performance in this Ashes series across the three test matches thus far with the ball. Um, no surprise, leading wicket-taker is the captain, Pat Cummins, with 15, followed by Stark with 13, uh, Lyon with nine, eight wickets for Hazelwood, three wickets for Green, two wickets for Mitchell Marsh, Head and Boland, and one wicket for Murphy. That's how the Australian bowlers have performed in this series overall. But across the three test matches in this series. Um, the big question coming into this Ashes series was about, in, was about um, Australia combating Basball and obviously many people saying, all right, England have done this to many other bowling sides that they've played against India, New Zealand, and Pakistan, uh, and South Africa. Uh, their bowling attacks weren't good enough to combat Basball, and many people said they can't do this against this Australian team. What we have seen in this series from Australia with, with the ball, uh, combating Basball, is that they haven't handled it all that well. Um, they've been tested, they've been put under pressure, they've been put on the back foot. Um, their bowlers haven't really performed well against it, as we would have expected. Um, they've managed to, to find a way to combat it um, and get through that you know, um, onslaught of, of um, England's batting. Um, but they just haven't quite hit their straps with the ball in this series. Um, and, and their results with the ball has, has been a bit inconsistent as well. Uh, a lot of runs being leaked, uh, not enough pressure being built, and um, it's, it's been a telling sort of sign for Australia in this series that their bowlers at times haven't quite handled uh, England's proactive batting with basketball all that well. Um, and... It's something that they need to work on, especially going into the last two test matches of the series. Um, but um, you would think that Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark have been Australia's best bowlers in the series thus far. The third test match, both of them got fifers at Headingley. Um, they've been leading from the front. Obviously, Nathan Lyon getting injured for Australia was a big blow when he pulled his calf at Lords. He was going to be a, a big factor for Australia as well. Um, so since he's gone down, Cummins and Stark have taken the responsibility upon themselves to to lead this attack and and to take wickets and really put England under pressure, and they've done that. Um, you could say with the other bowlers, um, their performances have been a bit indifferent. Uh, Josh Hazelwood... Um, has been struggling a bit in this series. Um, even Scott Boland. Scott Boland's had a wonderful start to his test career. But in this Ashes series, he's been leaking too many runs. And in the first test match, he leaked a lot of runs. 86 runs in the first innings of the first test. 61 
in the second innings. Um, in the in the third test at um, Headingley, he did okay, 35 and 49 runs conceded, but um, not as bad as it was at um, Edgebaston in the first test. But he hasn't been quite at his best. And we sort of expected that the England bowlers would sort of target him. They would target Hazelwood as well because they're line-length bowlers and put them off their line and length. Um, obviously, um, they haven't been at their best. Cameron Green... Hasn't had much of an impact with the ball. He's only taken three wickets, but he's gone for a lot of runs as well. Um, Mitchell Marsh came in for the third test and took two wickets. And he had a great test match, obviously scoring 100, of course. Uh, Travis Head's been handy with his part-time off-spin, especially in the second test, picked up a couple of wickets because Nathan Lyon going down with that calf. Um, Todd Murphy coming into the third test, didn't really have much of a role to play there. He picked up a wicket of Ben Stokes in the third in the third test in the first innings. Um, so, yeah, Australians, Australia's bowlers, um, they need to work on a, a few more areas um, to get better at. Um, maybe for Australia going into this, um, the last couple of test matches, maybe trying to uh, to use T20 bowling tactics, I think. Set different fields, given the way that England are, are playing with basketball at the moment. Probably go to a T20 sort of mentality with the ball. Uh, maybe bowls, some slower balls, Yorkers, some change-ups, uh, just to do something different to get wickets. And and the other things that they need to do is build up pressure, build pressure with dot balls, bowl maidens, play on the ego of England a bit, um, make them be patient and make them earn their runs. Because as we've seen with England, they're not a side that bats for a long period of time. We've already touched on that before. Um, they don't bat for long periods of time. The, 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 the highest amount of overs that England have batted in this series is 81.3. And that was in the run chase at Lords in the second innings. Um, that's their highest amount of overs they've batted in this series. So if, in, so if Australia can play on the, the patience of England, build pressure, make them earn their runs, um, that, that could bring about some more success for Australia as well. Um, also better plans to the tailenders for Australia. Th their plans to the tailenders have been a bit all over the place. England's tailenders have been able to score runs um, and really make a difference in the test matches. We certainly saw that in the third test where Mark Wood came in, joined Ben Stokes and smashed 24 in quick time. Um, so they need to get the plans better to the tailenders. They're leaking too many runs when the England tailenders come in. Um, also, they need to take their opportunities with the ball, Australia. Um, the third test match at Headingley, they had England 7 for 142, leading by 121 in the first innings of the third test. And they weren't able to finish off the job. Ben Stokes scored 80. Um, as I mentioned, Mark Wood scored 24. And they were able to get to the deficit to 26 runs. So it's something that Australia need to do in this series. When there's an opportunity with the ball, when you have England on the ropes at 7 for 142 and you lead by 121, you need to finish off the job. You can't waste these opportunities. And that's something that Australia can't afford to do in the fourth test of this series, but also in the fifth test. Because with the Ashes series being 2-1 in favour of Australia, this fourth test match at, Edge, uh, at Old Trafford is very important. And they can't afford to, to miss opportunities like they did at Headingley. Um, they've done well to take wickets when they've needed to. 
And the Australian bowlers will always be in the game because given how England are playing with Basball, they're always in the game. They're going to be in the game and they're, they're going to be in with a chance. So it's very important for the Australian bowlers to fix up these areas um, and for all of them to stand up because they do need to stand up. Um, obviously, uh, to, to take wickets, but also make sure that they can do the job um, and, and get Australia over the line. So it's been a very patchy bowling performance from Australia in this Ashes series across the three test matches. But they are a quality bowling attack. Obviously, it doesn't help when you don't have Nathan Lyon in the side. It's unfortunate that he was injured. But that's just the way it is. Um, but obviously, for Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Green, Mitchell Marsh, Scott Boland or Todd Murphy, maybe a Travis Head, maybe a few part-time overs from him, they need to stand up and they need to um, you know, stand up, do the basics well with the ball and, and take wickets. If they can do that, Australia, then they will definitely have success against England in this Ashes series. So um, the same with their bashing, but also with their bowling. There's a lot of areas for Australia to work on. Um, I think the break has come at a good time for Australia um, for uh, this long break between the third and the fourth test. I think it's come at a good time just to get away from it all, take a bit of a break, reassess. Uh, what, what can we do better? So for Australia... Uh, They've still got motivation. If they win the test at Old Trafford, they win the series, they win the Ashes, they retain the urn. So there's a lot of motivating um, factors there for Australia to, to definitely play their best cricket. But we haven't quite seen the best of Australia in this series. Hopefully, we'll probably see the best of them in the fourth test at Old Trafford. We, we shall have to wait and see, but uh, they need to work on those areas with their batting and bowling. Tighten up those areas, and it could be a different result. Let's preview and look ahead to the fourth and the fifth Ashes Test matches of this series. Um, so three Test matches have already been played. We've got two more Test matches to come. The fourth Ashes Test at Old Trafford and the fifth and final Ashes Test at the Oval. So let's talk about those two Test matches. What can we expect from the fourth Test in particular? Because that's the one coming up next, but also the last Test match at the Oval. And talk about... Um, England and Australia, how they've gone at these venues in Ashes cricket. So the fourth test will be played at Old Trafford, and that will be played on the 19th of July, which is coming up. It's on Wednesday, 19th of July. Um, an important test of the series for a number of reasons. Um, Australia just need to win one more test match to wrap up the series and the series, um, and to retain the Ashes. Uh, for England... They need to win this fourth test at Old Trafford to stay alive in the series, potentially get it to a deciding test match at the Oval. That would be something. Uh, so definitely plenty to play for at Old Trafford. But let's have a look at the test stats at Old Trafford between England and Australia. Uh, the first test match that the two teams played here at Old Trafford was back in 1884. 30 matches. Uh, 15 of them have been drawn. Uh, England have won seven. Australia have won eight. And the last time they played here in 2019, Australia won by 185 runs. Steve Smith scored 211 and 82. Australia scored 8 declared for 497, batting first, and then 6 declared for 186. England were bowled out for 301 and 197, chasing 383. Um, in that game, Australia retained the Ashes, and they will be hoping to do the same 
2023. It could be another exciting test match at Old Trafford. Um, if it follows the theme of the series, I think we're in for another cracking test match up there in Manchester. But it's an important test match. Both teams will be highly motivated for a number of different reasons, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but it, it is going to be an important test match for both teams at Old Trafford. So that's the fourth test. Um, obviously, the fifth test at the Oval, the fifth Ashes test will be played at the Oval. It's traditional um, in England for an Ashes series for the fifth and final test of the series to be played at the Oval. And uh, that will be played on the 27th of July. So that's in a few weeks from now. Um, and, and that test match could be an exciting test match. It, it, it will depend on the result of the fourth test here at uh, Old Trafford. If Australia win, then the series is done. If England win, then the fifth test of the Oval will be an exciting conclusion to this Ashes series. It could be a deciding test match. But it will depend on the result at Old Trafford. But the fifth test of the Oval, um, the Oval has hosted many great Ashes moments. Um, the, th the, the test match in 1882 that kicked off the Ashes legend happened at the Oval. Uh, Don Bradman's final innings when he got the duck in 1948 when he led the Invincibles. That was here at the Oval. Uh, Selene Hutton's 364 in 1938, becoming the highest ever individual uh, run scorer in a test innings, uh, was here at the Oval against Australia in 1938. So it's hosted many great uh, Ashes moments in the past, the Oval. And it could be the deciding test match of the series. But as I mentioned, it depends on what happens at Old Trafford with the result um, in the fourth test. But we can have a look at uh, some of the test stats between uh, England and Australia at the Oval. Uh, the first test match played between the two countries at the Oval was back in 1880. Uh, 38 matches... England have won, uh, 14 of them, sorry, have been drawn. England have won 17, Australia won 7. So it's definitely a, a pretty pretty good ground for England over the years at the Oval. But um, it, it is definitely one of those iconic venues, not only in world cricket, but it's also one of those venues in Ashes cricket, which has definitely provided some good cricket over the years. And probably in this series, it will probably provide another exciting test but as I mentioned, it will depend on the outcome of the fourth test at Old Trafford. So that's our preview of the, the fourth and fifth Ashes tests of, of this Ashes series in 2023. For our mid-Ashes series review, uh, we asked some of our listeners who listen to the podcast to, to send in their thoughts or write in their thoughts or comment on our YouTube channel about their thoughts on this Ashes series thus far. And we've had some um, reactions and thoughts from some of our listeners and some people who may be following the series or follow the podcast uh, um, offer their thoughts on the series. So thank you to those who, um, who did that. Um, so we'll start off with the first one. Um, the first one comes from Fermo. Uh, comments on our YouTube channel. Thank you, Fermo, for your comment. And Fermo says, hmm... It feels like the series has been full of impressive individual performances, but very few solid partnerships in brackets, batting or bowling, which is why the games have been so close. The team that can put on a partnership or two of real quality 
will be the one that takes the series, in my very humble opinion. Thank you, Fermo, for your, for your comment there. And, and I think you make a very good point there, Fermo. It has been a series based on individual performances, and, and both teams haven't really had a, a, a major dominant sort of performance in the series. So I think it may continue like that. It's just been that sort of series. Uh, but, but thank you for your, your, um, your comment there, and we really do appreciate that. Uh, there's another comment from John, one of our regular listeners. Thank you, John, for your comment. This was a comment that he left on our third Ashes Test review about uh, the third Ashes Test from Headley, reviewing that Test match. Um, his comment's about David Warner. And John goes on to say, Just my opinion, but Warner was being selfish, announcing so far out that he wanted to finish his Test career at the SCG. This coming summer, in brackets, without even playing the whole season. He took a very calculated stance to put pressure on the selectors to put loyalty beyond form. Doesn't quite sit well with me. And then John goes on to say, Davey, if you're going to talk to talk, you better walk the walk. Thank you, John, for your, your comment there about David Warner. Yes, he's been under pressure. And yeah, often when you make those announcements about you want to retire at a certain point or a certain test, it does put pressure on yourself, but it also puts pressure on the selectors to keep you on the side. Uh, so for David Warner, he is um, um, putting pressure on himself, but also on on uh, the selectors as well. But thank you, John, for your uh, comment there about David Warner and your thoughts about him and his position in this series thus far. And last but not least, we have uh, one of our other regular listeners on the podcast, Jihan. Thank you, Jihan. You've sent in some discussion points to talk about, mainly about Australia, because obviously Jihan is an avid um, Australian cricket supporter and some of these talking points that Jihan has sent in for us to discuss on our Mid-Ashes series review are mainly about Australia in terms of their um, performance in, in terms of how can they get better in certain aspects um, so so we'll start with the first one that Jihan has said the first one is comparison of talent runs including Australia bowling tactics and field settings to Woodworks, Broad, Robinson etc because they are scoring far too many runs for their last four to five wickets. Well, Jihan, uh, yes, that that has been a problem for for Australia in this series, the talenders uh, and the and the runs, especially with England's talenders. Um, that's been a problem for Australia throughout this series thus far, and there's a lot of areas that they can improve on uh, to to make that better. Uh, the comparison of talender runs in this series, England have scored 269 runs with the tail. This is positions 8 to 11. Highest score of 32 not out. Um, average of 19.21. They faced uh, 404 balls. A strike rate of 66.58. They've hit 25 boundaries in 7 sixes. You compare that to Australia's talenders, positions 8 to 11. Australia have scored 233 runs with the tail. Highest score of 44 not out. That was Pat Cummins' Um, innings in the uh, first test match to get Australia over the line. Um, average of 14.56. They faced 438 balls. A strike rate of 53.19. They've hit 24 boundaries and six sixes. And they've had two batters that have got out for ducks. So clearly uh, clearly Australia's talenders have struggled. And England's talenders have, have definitely been dominant in this series. Um to answer your, your points there, Jihan, I think for Australia in terms of the, the bowling tactics, I think 
you just probably need to go back to basics. I think just treat the tailenders like a top order batter, bowl a good line and length, maybe an odd short ball. I think Australia have overdone the short ball to the tailenders a bit in this series, and the tailenders have gotten used to that. So you need to change it up. Um, and with the field settings, maybe have a short leg, maybe have a, a few slips, maybe have some fielders in catching positions and, and probably have some fielders protecting the boundary. But Australia definitely need to treat the tailenders like a top-order batter, bowl accordingly to that, and you can definitely put pressure on the tailenders. So that's probably something that they could could do, Jihan, but uh, that's an interesting point that you raised there. Um, your second point, Jihan, you say overcast conditions. Australia never seem to have prolonged periods to, to bat under sunny skies. However, when they do, they aren't scoring fast enough, meaning England still have control of the game, and if they lose wickets, then the slow scoring seems a bit pointless, like when Marnus and Smith got out the other day. Um, that's a very uh, interesting point there again, Jihan. Um, I think for Australia, in, in those types of situations... Um, need to adapt to conditions. Um, they need to find a way to get through those tricky uh, conditions. Obviously, in this series, they haven't really had the best of the conditions, but they need to find a way to get through those tricky positions. And I think for, for Australia, they need to put pressure back on the England bowlers. Um, I understand what Australia are trying to do. They want to bat for long periods of time. They want to tire out the England bowlers. That's a good tactic, and... Obviously, that's their plan. That's a game plan. But you need to put pressure back on the bowlers. You can't get bogged down. So be positive. Look to run hard between the wickets. Look to punish the bad balls. Um, if they bowl you a bad ball, punish it. If they bowl you a, a good ball, respect it, defend it, leave it, whatever, um, and go about it that way. So uh, they can definitely show some more... Uh, positive intent with the bat when it comes to those uh, difficult conditions, but they also need to find a way as well. Uh, your third point, Jihan, you say, can we afford to carry David Warner and in brackets and maybe even Cameron Green, who hasn't had much impact so far? Yeah, that's that's an interesting point again, Jihan, about Warner. He's been in the been in the news. He's been in the talking points of this series. He's under pressure. There's no doubt about that. Um. He can still do a job, David Warner. Um, David Warner, he's that type of person that's motivated. He wants to prove people wrong. Um, but is there enough fight? Is there enough energy left in David Warner to do that? He can be a dangerous player on his day. We've seen in the second test at Lords, he batted well. We saw some good signs. Um, so he's definitely got the ability to, to go out there and score some runs. But he needs to find a way to get through Broad and and uh, find a way to get through him because he's had a tough time of it with Stuart Broad. And obviously in the last test at Headingley, got out to him twice. Um, I think Australia will stick with him. I don't see what the point is changing now. He's played the first three test matches. We're nearly towards the end of the series. Do you really want to change things up now in, in a test match that you have to win? Um, will Marcus Harris do a better job than Warner? I don't think he will. So it's easier said than done to drop Warner. And this is what I said in, in the third Ashes Test review that we did when we talked about Australia's 11 for the next test at Old Trafford, is that 
Okay, easier said than done to drop David Warner, but is Marcus Harris the, re the replacement? Is he going to do a better job than Warner? I don't think he will, because Marcus Harris has had a tough time of it in Test cricket himself. So I think they'll keep Warner. He adds a lot to the team. He's a pretty good catcher. He's a pretty good fielder. Um, so he'll definitely add a lot to the team. Um, with Cameron Green, he hasn't quite hit his straps in the series. Um, I think he still has a role to play, and I think he can um, get into the series. Um, for Green, it's all about confidence. If he gets a gets a half century, gets a, a score of significant note with the bat, if he takes a, a few wickets with the ball, that would definitely boost his confidence. Um, I think with Cameron Green, he's one of those players that it takes a bit of time for him to get into the series. He's not a player that hits the ground running from the first test. And usually with Cameron Green in the series that he's played in his test career, he's a, he's a bit of a slow starter in a series. So once he gets into the series, he becomes better. So hopefully when he does come back into the side, maybe in the fourth test, maybe in the fifth test, he'll probably hit his straps. Uh, but that's another interesting point there you raised there, Jihan. Um, point number four that you make... You're saying, how can we handle Mark Wood? Maybe see him off and try and make him bowl second and third spells as his pace drops when he has to come back to bowl. I think you pretty much answered the question yourself there, Jihan. I think that's probably what Australia should do. Um, Mark Wood can't bowl 90 miles per hour all the time. Um, short, sharp spells will be the order of the day for him. But if Australia can see him off, make him tire, with Mark Wood, he's coming back from injury... Um, as we know with Mark Wood, he's injury prone. So if you make him bowl a lot of overs, he'll probably break down. There's a risk that he may break down if he bowls too many overs. And his pace will drop, obviously, if he gets more tired and fatigued. So I think for Australia, that's definitely one way of handling him. Uh, just see him off, make him feel fatigued and tired because he hasn't played a lot of cricket. And there is an element of risk there when it comes to injury. So they'll definitely go down that route, um, Jihan. Yes, say Jihan, point number five. You say, how do we encounter England's constant blitzing batting from 1 to 11? Only solution I see is big top-order runs from Australia, including big hundreds. Playing baseball when Australia have scored 500 will be an ultra-risky, um, and they could lose the match quite quickly. Yeah, that's, that's another interesting point there, Jihan. Um, I think for Australia, it, it's important that uh, their key batters, Kawaja, Warner, Labuschagne and Smith, the top four, they have to make big scores. Australia haven't done that in this series. They, they, they also haven't posted scores of 400 plus or 450 up towards 500. That's definitely one way to combat it. Another way is to, uh, to make sure that their bowling... Tactics are pretty sound. Maybe try a T20 mentality with the ball. Maybe bowl some change-ups, slower balls, Yorkers. Maybe roll your fingers down the side of the ball or something like that to create wickets and opportunities with the England, with the way that England are playing at the moment. Uh, so they could do those things. Uh, so that's one way of combating it. And finally, Jihan, you say, point number six, Alex Carey. Uh, two failures with the bat at crucial junctures this match meaning the third test um also uh, dropped a catch towards the dying stages of the game um he has been rattled by the bears for a stumping backlash 
Alistair Cook making up rumours about him not paying for his haircut, etc. That's an interesting point. Alex Carey, yeah, it's been interesting. He's talked about this, Alex Carey, and in, in, in the last few days he talked about it. He was open about the whole Bearstra thing. I think for Carey it's all about just trying to block it out. Block it out, for, just try and move on from it. And I think everyone should move on from it as well. Um, but you know what the media and all those people are like. They're gonna they're gonna make it a big deal and, and they're gonna put pressure on Kerry and make him feel like he's um, under pressure. But Kerry has said, you know, he's had good support from the team. He's had good support from family and friends, and that's the main thing for Kerry to know that he's got that support and he's got someone he's got got his back. And that's what you do as a as a teammate. You, that's what you do. You stand up for your teammates and. And I think for Kerry, yeah, you know, this third test match wasn't his greatest, but he's had a great series thus far. He's kept well. Um, the first two test matches were good. Um, so he's kept really well. But, yeah, it, 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 it has been a, a difficult time of it of late, following what happened at Lords. But I think for him, it's all about just trying to focus on what you can do for the team, not focus on what the fans or the media say about you, because at the end of the day, they can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, just focus on what you need to do for the team. And I think he, he'll find a way to get through it. Um, he's already mentioned and talked about that. But uh, thank you, Jihan, for your thoughts and comments on Australia's uh, series thus far. And thank you, everyone, who has uh, sent in their thoughts and comments about the series thus far. Um, it was great to hear what you had to say on this Ashes series. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our very long mid-series Ashes review. There was plenty to talk about uh, over the, the first three test matches of this Ashes series. Thank you, everyone, if you're still listening to us um, on this episode of the podcast. My final thoughts to finish off about the first three test matches and how this series has gone thus far. I think it's been a very enjoyable series again, uh, as we expect in Ashes cricket. It's been a very draining sort of series, especially someone who's covering the series and talking about it. It's very draining watching, you know, five days of cricket across three test matches, um, late hours of, of the morning here in Australia, of course. It, it, it has been very draining. It has been very taxing. But it's it's been interesting. We've seen some great cricket. We've seen some great individual performances. The series has ebbed and flowed. The momentum has changed just about every over, every ball of this uh, series. Um, and I think many people would agree with that as well. So it's been a very enjoyable series and uh, can't wait to see what happens in the fourth and fifth tests at um, Old Trafford and Manchester. Uh, Old Trafford and Manchester, of course, and obviously the Oval in London uh, for the last two test matches. It's sure to be an exciting conclusion to this Ashes series in 2023. Well, thank you, everyone. That's all the time that we've got for today for this episode of the podcast, our Mid-Ashes Series Review. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening once again. Make sure you stay tuned for more episodes of The Ashes and live streams on the podcast. Um, if you are listening to this episode of the podcast on our YouTube channel, let us know your thoughts on this Ashes series so far in the comments section. We would love to hear what you have to say Um about this Ashes series. Uh, before we go, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, the podcast is available 
on Anchor, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.